On this episode, land crabs, sewing machines that talk, a brief history of zippers in the U.S., and upcycling. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Your hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. Welcome to another episode of the Almost There Adventure podcast. Uh, I am very excited because we have another Bend local. So we have three out of four on the call are all Bend locals today, which is very exciting. We have Hannah Fanazzo (laughs) Kruger. (laughs) Sorry. We may get into why we have to do the Fanazzo, the Italian thing later. But um, Hannah is the uh, owner of the Salty Boob. I swear, this is not going to be an X-rated podcast episode. Um, But they are the owner of the Salty Boob, which is an amazing uh, bike bag company. Um, And I may or may not have just picked up my frame bag for my bikepacking trip from Hana last night. So, um, Hana, why don't you do a better job of introducing yourself? Sure. Hi, I'm Hana Fanazzo Kruger, and I'm the owner and main maker at the Salty Boob. Um, I, I guess I started the Salty Boob mostly, I mean, I've been sewing for a very long time and started the company when my son was born. He's four now, and it originally started as a little side hustle while I was on maternity leave from being a therapist and has kind of grown into what it is today, which is um, really fun. Like I've actually spent the last week, I spent the entire week so stressed out because I was so busy and had so many orders and people were going on bikepacking trips and needed their bags and it felt like very important and very busy. And then I this week has been this step back of, as I've you know, gotten people their bags, I've been like, wow, like, this is so cool that it's grown to this point where, like, this is what I get to be stressed out about now. So I, I noticed though, doing my research that you're on, you're on Etsy. I didn't see like another, is that mainly where you do all of your sales through Etsy or yeah. do you have like your own standalone site as well? So I do have my own standalone site. And um, what I'm, what I'm currently working on is uh, getting somebody to do SEO so that people don't go down that very surprising uh rabbit hole of googling the salty boob to see what happens um so guilty guilty. yeah yeah Yeah, i'm sure it's it was especially funny when i didn't have a website for a long time and i was totally just sending people out into into the dark to be like go see what you find who knows or you could call me and we'll figure it out um so etsy's where i started and then i have a website it's uh the salty boob dot life and that'll take you to my store and has kind of like a list of what current products I have. Um, I definitely have been busy enough that I haven't been great about updating both. So if you're seeing something on there that you're into that's not available or you have an idea about something or you've heard about something like the frame bags I don't think are currently listed as available, you can just reach out direct to me through the website, through Instagram, through Etsy, um, and I can get you sorted. So one of the things that makes the bags pretty cool is that they're all upcycled materials. Not all, but obviously like zippers and very important things are maybe not upcycled, but for the most part, the material is upcycled. Tell us a little bit more about that, about the material, where you get it, what the bags are made of. Yeah, absolutely. So I started out using mostly kite surfing kites um, and that was when I was in Hawaii. So I was learning how to kite surf, which is extremely fun and extremely difficult to learn. 
Um, and my friend, he dropped his brand new, like 18 meter kite into a tree and it ripped in half. And once that happens, you can repair them to some degree, but they're expensive to get repaired. His son is a kite surfing instructor. And so, you know, he, he gave me the kite and was like, here, maybe you can sew something cool out of it. Um, and so Maddox was a tiny baby at the time. And so I sewed him this little, um, changing blanket and it was awesome because, I was very lucky. I have a baby who pooped once a week, um, which was lovely until it would happen and it was a complete disaster. Uh, but the nice thing about the kite surfing kites is they're like this really high quality ripstop and nylon and so they're wind and waterproof. So one side was flannel and the other side was this kite surfing kite so I could throw that down in my truck, throw my disgusting little baby on it, get him all cleaned up and then just like roll it up and throw it, <laughs> throw it in the wash and it would come out great every time. <laughs> I'm sure like parachutes, kite surfing thing, those are not necessarily the things you want to repair, right? Like, you know, things, you know, that that day, that, with that level of risk, or I guess kite surfing, not so much as parachutes, but I just imagine like, you know. Totally. Yeah, you, you're like, you yeah, can yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. only repair them so many times before it yeah. does affect the performance. And kite surfing is, it depends. Like some people don't, it doesn't matter that much. Um, and it's been really cool moving here. Whenever I put a call out onto Facebook for more kites, I get these kites from Hood River where, you know, they're pros and they're actually testing the prototypes. So I have a stack, I think I got maybe nine kites from Slingshot where they were prototyping them and they only, they like use them once and that's it. And so somebody had it in with the company and sent me those, um, which was cool. Cause it's, it's really, What's neat about all of the material, I have a bag here I can show you. Um, it's kind of like the highest, fanciest material you can get. And then once the kites are gone, that's it. They're super expensive to start with. And so um, the people who have them are, nobody wants to throw them away. I had one kid who's like, oh, I have six broken kites in my bedroom right now. My girlfriend thinks I'm a slob. I'll bring them to you. And I was like, yeah, do that. Definitely. <laughs> so... So it's been fun. So this is uh, one of my products. This is the bike basket. Um, this one is kite surfing, kites on the front, and then vinyl banner on the back, and then a bike tire for the bottom, which is a little hard to see. Oh, that's but... really cool. We'll have to get some pictures of these for our show notes so we can share them with the listeners. Um, I was just thinking, one of the things that I thought was really cool about some of the, the product photos that you have on the website is that it seems like, you know, like sometimes there's warning labels and stuff on the on the material <laughs> that becomes part of the design or like different yeah. colors and patterns and things like that. And it, it looks really cool. I, I loved it. Exactly. And that's Is what there just something really particular fun. you look for when you do that. You know, mostly a little bit like this. This bag is a new one. And so what's cool about this is it's actually scraps of parts put together. And so whenever I go to cut a piece of kite. This is one of the challenges of having an upcycling, um, like as a, my main material is I have to hand cut every piece because I wanna kind of maximize what I'm using. So one is just like cleanliness and repair. Like, is it is it really worn out? Some of the kites I get in have mildew on them and I really don't send those back out into the world because who wants to have a moldy product show up? Show up? That seems gross. Um, I should start a whole new company called the Moldy Boob and then just use my mildewed kites for that. <laughs> they can be like half off or something. <laughs> wow. 
But um, so yeah, so I kind of looked for like what looks cool, combining different colors, um, and then I recently got a bunch of vinyl banners from the old mill district. So those are the ones that are up on the lampposts. Um, and so same thing, like I'm trying to cut those up in a way that makes sense and kind of creates an aesthetically cool looking bag. Um, awesome. The one I'm showing right now is from That's... a pull pedal paddle. So there's a mountain and some hills, a little cloud on it, you know, and just piecing it together in a way that it's all about looking cool out there and having functional gear that doesn't ever break. That's really cool. Totally. Yeah. And, and so like now, obviously, since you're recycling this material, most of this stuff is it's, it's some form of vinyl or some form of like petroleum thing that if you don't recycle it, it's just going to get thrown in a landfill and, and never decompose or, or a lot, at least not, you know, in like several hundred lifetimes, right? Like half-life yeah. more so than a, in a life. So what, what, are, what is this material and, and what's, why, why is it so important to re, uh, repurpose it? Well, like you said, so there's a couple things. So like bike tires technically can be recycled. You can take them out here in Bend to not landfill and pay a dollar per tire to get them recycled. And I don't know what the offset is, but in my mind, when I look at a bike tire, if I can use that in a product to make the product stronger and more functional and look kind of cool, um, that's less impact on the earth then sending it off to a recycling facility, whatever that freight is to get it there, then actually whatever the emissions are to recycle it and then turn it into a new product. So I like the idea, you know, I kind of came into the recycling stuff or upcycling stuff out of more like necessity and like the kite stuff, some of those kites, the one that my friend Dwayne gave me was brand new and the material is super high quality. You know, it would be very expensive per yard to get um and then i think like gosh there's all this stuff that could be taken from its current form and put straight into something else without you know the the hardest part for me is like it's a lot of effort on my end like paying attention to what and how i'm cutting it and storing it and cleaning it and kind of all the intake process but you know i think not having to put more you know emissions into generating new product is huge how did you find this? Like, how did you end up, you know, doing it? I mean, you were said you were you were a, a psychologist or a therapist before this. Yeah. Yeah. Do you still do that as well? Is this like a side hustle, or are you full time doing the upcycling now? Nope, I'm full time in this business now. Go back further, Hannah. Like further whole, back. Like further back than just plain old therapy. Like you have a whole outdoor background, <laughs> so which is totally. pretty relevant to this podcast. So why don't yeah. why we start at the beginning? So and it's it's been really fun to think about that since meeting you, Severian, and hearing about the stuff that you're doing and the work that you're doing because originally that's really more what I went to college for. Um, I grew up in the Midwest and which is an interesting place when it comes to adventure because it's relatively flat. It's hard to find intense like extreme adventure but i was like obsessed with it um i started mountain biking when i was you know i mean when i was a, like i learned to bike i think when i was like seven or eight which is mind-blowing because my kid he can ride a pedal bike at three i think is when he learned um but i you know raced mountain bikes in high school and then when i went to college uh my undergrad degrees in outdoor rec administration which they didn't have a specific program in i had to kind of like choose my own adventure degree and then argue why that was going to help me and so it's mostly business outdoor recreation and um environmental education so from college in iowa i took an internship out west as an outdoor educator and worked all over california 
in Utah um, as an outdoor educator and eventually moved over to Utah and worked in a wilderness therapy program for a couple of years. Um, and that was kind of my first big like interest and entry into counseling and therapy. Um, and I don't know if that's, I think it's probably a combination of where I grew up that there wasn't a lot of information about therapy, but also the time, like, I just don't think that it was as prevalent and people weren't accessing those services as openly. Um, and so I was really interested and in, spent a lot of time working in the field. Uh, the program I was working for was, uh, you know, the kids I was working with, they were, I think 13 to 17 and they would come out to the desert for six to 10 weeks and they would be in these like little nomadic groups that they would travel around. So it was super backcountry. Um, like it would take four hours to drive out of the field every week. We would be in for eight days and then off for six. Um, and I did that for about a year. And, you know, once I kind of like came to the end of the cycle, I think people tend to get really burned out doing that type of work. Um, I moved up to Bend to to be closer to a friend who I had met while I was in the field in, in Utah and um, and ended up managing uh, Wanderlust Tours, who is based here in Bend. And um, they're an awesome, awesome company. We, we, um, uh, we've had them on, we had um, the founder. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, we had Dave. Yeah. Dave. Dave. We had Dave yeah. On. Sorry, it took yeah. me a minute. Yeah. 70 yeah. episodes, you start for, yep. it's getting harder to remember everyone's name. Oh, absolutely, but we, yeah. But I remember Wanderlust Tours, and he was fantastic when we had him on, so that's He's great. awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was great. Um, I loved working for Wanderlust Tours. It was really challenging. It was very much like a desk job where I had just spent years of being in the field and, like, really active. Um, and then this was kind of like the behind the scenes, like organizing, selling tours, making sure that the guides had the things that they needed for the trips. Um, and working really closely with Dave and Alita to grow their business. Um, and, and so, so it was great cause I got a great intro to Bend. I was here for almost two years and then I went on a sailing trip off to Hawaii and, um, and I don't even know, I can't remember if I told you that part of the story, Severia, but I got on a sailing, uh, crew as a crew, we were supposed to go from Oahu to New Zealand and, um, I signed up on this guy's boat to go on this trip and uh, got, I think we were like three weeks into the trip down to Christmas Island. He decides he wants to finish the tour solo, kicks me off the boat. Um, and I had like rearranged my whole life for this trip. Hopefully on and, an island. Hopefully he kicked you off like on land. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We were on, <laughs> okay. we were on Christmas Island. didn't have to walk the plane. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, no. I mean, <laughs> right, right. And he was very like sort of nice and kind about it. I think, you know, he wasn't like a total pirate, like get off and figure it out. But, you know, he like offered to pay me out provisions. And I was like, no, dude, you got to fly me back to Oahu, which is where we started. Um, so I got him to agree to that. So that was in 2000 and... It was like in 2008, so there were two flights out of Christmas Island uh, per week. One went to Fiji, one went to Oahu, and they were both like six hours. And so I had like 24 hours to figure out like which direction am I going? <laughs> what am I going to do when I get there? Pack my stuff and go. And um, so I flew back to Oahu and met my best friend who happened to be coming out from Iowa for a family reunion um the next week on Kauai and kind of never left until a couple years ago so 
Did you get to see the crabs? Like, I know, isn't Christmas Island crazy with, like, the millions and yes. billions of the little crabs that run everywhere? Oh, is, oh and they're not even little. They're, like, dinner plate size. Oh. Like, Can you eat it them? Was, <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't think that people, I don't no. think people eat eat them. We okay. didn't eat them. Um, okay. The guy who I was with was a big spear fisherman, so we actually, we spent the first week, we were there for, like, just short of seven days, um, and so we spent most of the time spear fishing and yeah. eating that. But I now I'm like, no, I want to go back and try to eat one of those guys because right? they were huge. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And probably easy to catch considering how many of them there are. It's you know oh, what it I was mean. Crazy. It's, it's like they yeah. can't all run away from you. So I, no, well, <laughs> and actually, so the day that I left, I the we were anchored like on the south end of the island and the whatever wherever we were anchored was opposite where the airport was so i went out and i rented a moped to drive from the anchorage up to the airport and um and it was hilarious because i didn't know anything i really didn't have access to information back then like the internet wasn't a thing i had like a little flip phone that would only work in the u.s um it's so crazy to think that i did this my poor parents um but I rented this moped and then got up at four in the morning. Andy paddled me ashore. I got dressed in the dark. So the one picture of me on the trip is like I had a T-shirt on and then I put a sweatshirt on over top, but I didn't pull it down past my chest. <laughs> and so I'm like, you know, thumbs up with my shirt halfway on. And um, I ride off to the airport and the crabs are just playing Frogger the whole way because they see the light from the motorcycle. And I ran over so many of them and like... <laughs> I mean, they were like their legs are—they're huge. Oh yeah, it was insane. And if so. you haven't seen this, look it up. Uh, maybe we'll put a link. I mean, I still yeah. know it from National Geographic. But if you see it, it's not like she's aiming for the crabs. I mean, they're—they're they're like. Yeah. <laughs> they're oh, I was like, like, I was like, oh my god, I could hit one of yeah. these, and it's gonna launch me, and I'm never gonna get. I'm just gonna die on Christmas Island. Like this will be the end of me. But I made it to billions. It to of, it's like a obviously. billions of these crabs, and they walk yeah. across this island. It's—it's—it's it's, it's insane to watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. So Christmas Island, you got to Kauai. I got to Kauai, um, and I obviously that time. Let's see. So I had a birthday when we were crossing the Pacific down to Christmas Island, which was a two-week sail. Um, so I think I turned twenty-four, maybe on that part of, on that leg of the trip. So now I'm twenty-four. I'm landing back on Oahu, and then flying over to Kauai. My best friend comes for a week. I have a great time. Obviously, the next step in my life at this point is like I'll become a lettuce farmer, and there's... <laughs> obviously, uh, what else? I know what I'll what do. Else I'll become there? a lettuce farmer. <laughs> so there's all of these willing workers for organic farm opportunities there, and I just like found some other kids who were working on a farm and ended up being a lettuce farmer for about a year, and it was great. I would wake up in the morning, go surf, come back, pick lettuce take it to the market, sell lettuce, bring it back, go surf, and then repeat for a year. And it was lovely. And I kept being like, yeah, maybe I'll go home. And then I got really into surfing. And then I was like, but the winter's coming and the swell's supposed to be amazing. And, um, you know, eventually I ended up with a job when I was in undergrad, I was a bus driver. And so I ended up picking up a job. I've always kept my CDL license. So I got a job as a tour bus driver um for the island which is a really like fun well-paying job so i would have you know like a motor coach full of tourists and coming up on the left you'll see blah 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 and all the stories and um while i was doing that i decided to go back to grad school and got into a um a web-based online program 
for counseling and completed that mostly while my tourists were out swimming at Boipu Beach. Um, <laughs> I would like take them on a tour and then they would go swim and I would sit there and like, you know, crank out a paper and um, yeah. So, so let's see. So where am I? So then I worked as a therapist um, after I graduated uh, for a couple of different agencies for probably about four years. I worked a few, usually it takes two years to become licensed and then you can kind of go on your own and do whatever you want. And I just put it off. I was like, ah, I don't think I'll be ready by then, which I was. Um, and for the past about five, six years before we moved here, I was working in private practice, um, specializing in trauma. And uh, I have a lot of additional, ton of additional training in PTSD and trauma and um, EMDR, which is a way of processing trauma. And by the time that I had my son, I was feeling a little bit burnt out. And um, I always thought that I would go back to it, but I set up my maternity leave so that I would be gone for three months. Um, I had a smaller caseload by then and I ended up coming back around eight months. And, you know, and then we were like within a year of getting ready to move. So um, when we moved, my plan was to continue working as a therapist. Um, but the pandemic hit and I was like, well, this seems like a hot mess. Um, I had a really low caseload. I actually ended up coming back. I was going to take a little bit longer of a sabbatical and as we moved. And um, I came back during the pandemic because I was kind of figuring that there would be a higher need for service. And my caseload just interestingly didn't really grow. Um, I continued licensure in Hawaii and in Oregon. and. Um, covered for another therapist for maybe like five or six months and was sewing a bunch on the side and started had started selling stuff at that point. And um, yeah, and then I kind of decided maybe I'll just take a break from this and see what happens with the pandemic. I don't think any of us really knew how that was going to play out. Tons of my colleagues were really getting work through it who did have higher caseloads. Um, I think the toll of like experiencing a trauma while you're helping support trauma is you know, something that nobody has anticipated very well. And I don't think there's been like a good plan. Everybody's just been in survival mode. So, um, yeah, so I ended up kind of stepping out of it completely and really focusing on the salty boob and hanging out with my son and my wife. And, you know, here we are now. Well, that sounds really cool. The, uh, an, an interesting journey. And mm -hmm. I just wanted to share another thing. Um, Hawaii keeps coming up in these podcasts. So I think... <laughs> Jason and I, neither one of us have been to Hawaii, mm -hmm. if you can believe Which that. Like, like, we've done all kinds how? of stuff. We've been all around the world. <laughs> haven't been to Hawaii, you know. So I think it's this is a sign that maybe we should go to Hawaii. <laughs> At any rate, I, I wanted to um, just say, like, how did the sewing come about? I mean, like, did you grow up sewing? Where did that come from? Or was it just something like, hey, I, was it a utilitarian need? Like, I, I want to make a frame bag or something like that. Yeah, it was a little bit of both. Um, I first started sewing in home ec class in eighth grade, and they always had us sew these like really boring projects, like a pillow and a pair of shorts and just this stuff that was like blah. Um, the first really fun thing I sewed was in college. My mom was like, I'll help you sew whatever you want. You just pick out the fabric and tell me what pattern to get. And so I picked a tiger costume, obviously. And it's like a, it was like a full furry, like adult sized tiger costume. 
and my poor college roommates, I think I was a sophomore in college, like our apartment was covered in this like bright fuzz for months. And, um, but I learned how to sew the whole pattern and it was super fun. And from there, I kind of started to shift into more, like as I got more into the outdoor stuff and needed things like a bivy sack, which those are really expensive when you're, when you're a field instructor. Um, and I really kind of needed one because the area that I was working in was so cold. Um, so I ordered all the, I think I ordered it all from Rocky Mountain Fabric, which is still a great resource for folks. Um, and sewed a bivy sack out of that and kind of always kept up with it. My my sister gave me my grandmother's Bernina, which is like a 70s model um, sewing machine. And that's what I primarily sewed on until uh, about, about two years ago, I bought an industrial machine because I was just really it was like really bogging through a lot of projects and that's been a big game changer. It also talks to her. <laughs> yeah. The new one talks totally. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Let's, let's it's do our like best Siri. today. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a motivational, it's a motivational. Sore. They're these fancy Japanese rice cookers and they speak, but they only speak in Japanese, but all these oh, really? buy them. That's awesome. So they, then they get spoken to and they don't know what it's saying, but it's like, you know, <laughs> That's um, funny. If you still have that tiger suit, our friend friend of the show, Jeff Garmeyer, might might want to buy that full body tiger suit. <laughs> I love a, it. I he don't. He wears a tiger I... shirt, and, and when he does Ugh. his crazy exploits and stuff. But um, oh, I wish I did. That would be fun. It's still one of the most favorite things I've made for yeah. sure. But I I loaned it to my friend Phil. Who oh. he, every well, time maybe. I'm like, hey, where's where's my tiger suit, bro? He's yeah. like changes the subject and then oh, we, okay. I don't even know what happened to it oh, so it's okay, just kind yeah. of a mystery it's great maybe you, maybe you don't want to know maybe it's, a, it's yeah if at this point it yeah. feels like that it's been yeah. like 20 years and I'm yeah. kind of like all right I'm okay with the mystery yeah I think we'll yeah. stop that 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 going down that road now because the next yeah. part of the conversation is is not not less less family friendly um right it's funny though I, I remember yeah I, I always am so impressed with anyone that has any ability with sewing or anything because I also had to take home act they made me do it in seventh grade and i had to do this this uh pillow it was like a pre it was even like a, a kit right so it's yeah. like uh you know and i couldn't do it and even my mom couldn't do it so we had to have like my mom's friend do the pillow so i could like not you had to outsource it yeah I, was, I cheated really it's cheating you know what i mean and my parents would never let me cheat at anything other than that but i think it was a uh, it was an emergency situation because I'm so bad at that kind of thing. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so my my mom sewed. In fact, um, she owned a uh, sewing fabric store that had like sewing classes and all of that stuff. And cool. um, she taught me to sew, although I think the extent of my sewing was like bean bags. So like a rectangle with a little hole and then you fill it with beans and <laughs> stitch it by hand the rest of the way. But um the one thing that I still have that she sewed for me was decades ago, quite literally. And it was a backpack, like a full backpacking, you know, backpack, external frame. Oh, and it cool. was a kit from a company called Frostline, mm -hmm. which used to have like, they used to do puffy. I had a puffy jacket that she sewed. They did, you know, sleeping bags. I think they might've even done tents. And, and this backpack has, you know, all the pockets and the zippers and, you know, the whole thing. And she said, never again, never <laughs> again. <laughs> and I have this thing in my garage hanging up on the wall and it's like a shrine to something. I don't know what, but 
it's like I can't get rid of it. You know, I mean, that was blood, sweat, and tears that went into that thing. You have to keep it. <laughs> I keep I keep buying bags. Like I'll mm-hmm. see, um, you know, like I picked up the seared designs. Oh, it's right here. Ironically, it's right here because we were just uh, out camping. But it's a Sear Designs sleeping bag, and it's one of the original tags, right? And so there's this, and I have, like, four other bags that are, they're small brands like me. And I can look at these bags, and I can see they're super well-made. Somebody worked, some human who owns this company worked really hard to, to sew this, and now it's at a thrift store. And I keep, like, rescuing and bringing these bags home. And I keep using them, and they're great. Um but I always think about that as like that's somebody's gear who started somewhere and um, and that's I think that's fun. Yeah, somebody poured a lot of heart and soul into that. Totally, yes. So you just recently took one of your uh, tent finds, thrift store finds, on a bikepacking trip. Tell us about yeah. that with a little. We did, yeah. So, um, well, this is I feel like this is a salty boob, dirty little secret is I haven't been on a bikepacking trip until this past weekend. Um, and a lot of that is because I have a four year old. And so what I was I was laughing about your big, lonely uh, trip, Jeff, because um, I think there's a new opportunity for a true endurance sport, which is um, like hiking with toddlers or doing anything with toddlers. And it's instead of like <laughs> maximum distance, it's how short of a distance can you go in the most amount of time? And you're just like trashed by the end of it. Like you're so tired. You're so irritated. Everybody's bonking. It's great. So, <laughs> so we haven't really been bikepacking, but I've been doing massive amounts of research since we moved because I, I make so many of these bags. Um, so it was fun because we, we picked up a really great little tent from the thrift store and we just pedaled out towards uh, Benham Falls here in Bend. We did about seven miles out, um, camped, and then back in the next morning. And it was so fun. And uh, my son is on a, he's on one of those little trailer bikes. So I pull him and we have our stuff all loaded up and he just sits back there and eats the whole time. And so he's the main inspiration. My tagline for the Salty Boob is adventure snack repeat because that's definitely kind of our cycle right now. <laughs> Sounds like a dream. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> uh, Adventure snack repeat. Yeah, no, you, your trip is coming up soon, right, Severia? Your your trip with Gary yeah. the, from our recent episode. Yeah, Gary, you, you're exactly. You're doing the San Juan. That's so super we exciting. Le- yeah, so I head out on Sunday. I'm very excited about my bag. So I have an extra small bike, so I have an extra small frame. So it was really <laughs> nice to have the custom, the custom bag made for it. Um, which was awesome. Now, how, how do you excited. go about yeah, that? Don't do worry, you you'll see, there'll be lots of pictures. Do you have people measure for you and send you the specs and then you build it that way? Yeah, exactly. So if I can't get a bike in my garage or meet somebody with it here locally or find one, there's been a couple times where I've been able to say on Instagram or Facebook, like, hey, does anybody have an intense in this size? And, mm-hmm. and they have it, which has been fun also just to meet people with their bikes. Um, so I have a little... Well, it's like a 20 minute ridiculously long video on how to measure and draw the pattern. And I just have people draw it and drop it in the mail to me and I can get a pretty accurate pattern that way. Nice. (laughs) I am, uh, as as I've done this before on the show, I'm actually buying one of your products right now. (laughs) I'm buying the Wendy Wendy Zippy pouch. Sweet. I've had this little thing that was like a given to me free. And I'm like, you know what? I kind of was thinking maybe it's time to 
retire <laughs> it. It's getting kind of gross and whatever. But it's Perfect. like, yeah, this is like a little pouch for like a little wallet for backpacking. So you, yeah, you put exactly. your cards in and that kind of thing. Yep, totally. So, yeah. So I'm in the process of, of purchasing that at this very I moment. I love it. Cool. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, the what? Do I need to come back to your house before Sunday? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If yes. you need one, let me know. I can do it for you. <laughs> All right. Um, so speaking of pouches, something else. So I went over last night to grab my bag and there was another woman there sewing, uh, using the yes. sewing machine. And she was finishing up a project that she had started with a class from you. So tell us a little bit about the class you just taught, which I think this is super fun. Yeah. So it's funny. I was thinking about that, Jeff, as you were talking about, uh, and um, Jason, as you guys were talking about your your sewing experiences and learning and your mom doing the, the kit and everything. So I got paired up with the public library. They were going through their stores and their storage unit and kind of clearing out their old vinyl banners. And the woman who was there last night, Dana, is one of their marketing directors. And she somewhere along the way saw something about me upcycling and um, got in touch with me to give me all these banners. And then they ended up purchasing back a bunch of products. So the library product, the project itself ended up being 600 pencil pouches and 150 like little um, e-reader bags, which was really, it was really fun and it was really exhausting and really like satisfying to make, you know, almost 800 pieces of product for the library. Also during that time, they have a great community outreach um, program and Paige got in touch with me about setting up a class. And the library is so neat. Like all the different things that they offer is mind blowing. And they're always trying to figure out how they can get people to come in to use their services more. So I think that was part of what they were looking at with me is they have a lot of, especially the millennials tend to use all of the services online, but they don't actually come into the library as much except for to like pick up their books in the front hallway and then they get out. So, um, so they were fantastic. They set up a, you know, three hour class for me to teach. They were like, tell me what you want to teach. And so what I did is I kind of thought about what what are the like things that I would need to learn and tried to combine them in one sort of simple, easy project, which I very quickly learned was maybe not as simple as I thought. Um, but it was really interesting because they partnered with the DIY Cave who provided the machines um, on the first round. And then the machines, like using home machines was a challenge. I've been on an industrial machine for about two years now and I've gone from, I have one walking foot machine, which is super heavy duty. That's what sews through bike tires and everything I've ever asked it to sew through. And then my uh, other machine that talks to me is newer. Um, so on, the home machines. On one second. Yeah. A walking foot machine. Uh-huh. I need to know what more, <laughs> what is, what so, is this thing? Well, so when you put, uh, okay, so the machine has the needle and that goes up and down and then it has feed dogs, which are the parts that move up underneath the fabric to grab it and pull it through with each stitch. So it kind of moves, moves the project through a walking foot actually moves the foot through with the feed dogs from the bottom, uh, from the top and the bottom at the same time. So you can hold, you can sew through much heavier material because it's holding everything together. You can also sew things like nylon is really slippery, which was interesting with the home machines because the feed dog on the bottom would start to pull the nylon through and the stuff on the top, all the 
material on the top would just stay in one place. So it was interesting watching people try try this project with these recycled materials on home machines, you know. And it was a good learning curve for me as an instructor, like really having a super dialed machine made a big difference. Um, so my, my walking foot is what's called a triple feed. And what that means is there's a feed from the bottom. So there's the feed dogs that are moving it and pushing it through from the bottom. There's uh, feet on the top that walk and push it through from the top. And then the needle also moves. So the whole thing is kind of like, I mean, it almost looks like, like, do, 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 do. I'm making like a spider motion <laughs> with my hand for those of you who don't yeah. And that's video, what allows but... you to like <laughs> sew through a bike tire, <laughs> for example. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And um, my machine is, it's industrial, it's made for leather. Um, and so it has the ability, like everything is made so heavily that it has enough force to go through at a pretty, pretty like strength, strong rate. It goes through everything every time. How many machines, or how did you find the right machine to go through the bike tire? Right. So I mean, obviously this one now does it great, but was there, what was the pain yeah. process of figuring out what machine did or did not? Well, that tires? was kind of, it was really kind of lucky. And I actually honestly never thought about sewing through bike tires until I had that machine and I just kind of kept pushing it. So the industrial machine is, it's a, sorry, the walking feed foot machine. It's a Conso 206 RB1. Her name is Mary. Oh yeah, after that my one. grandmother, yeah. Mary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love the it. The Conso two hundred six RB one. Yeah. You have a bunch of listeners out there right now who are like, "Oh, that <laughs> one is really writing good. it down." Yeah. And you have a bunch yeah. of listeners who are out there googling it. So is that, is that, yeah. the, is that the one? Violent. The one that was partnered <laughs> with C three PO and all the Star Wars movies, right? <laughs> I mean, okay, it yeah. sure looks yeah. like it. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's probably as old as C three PO. But it's a it's an amazing machine and it's one of kind of like a classic like very consistent one it has no bells and whistles which ended up being kind of hard on my body over time which is why i got this fancy new juki that that one talks to me um but i was using the bernina and i have used a bunch of different machines i'm always picking them up at yard sales i had a serger um that was pretty good that could really go through a lot of stuff heavy stuff um, but it's a particular, like, if you look inside of your seams of your, of your t-shirt, those are serge seams. So they're all together and you can only sew them just right at the edge. So you can't like go through the middle of something. Um, and so when I started looking for an industrial machine, I knew I needed something with a longer stitch length and something that would be able to be stronger. Um, the console was kind of the first one that I came across that the name sounded remotely familiar and I went I think it was right in the pandemic and I FaceTime the guy he was up in Camus Washington and he like I was like hi can you just show me how to like can you just like give me a quick demo to make sure that it's working and everything and he sewed some stuff and we drove up that day and picked it up and brought it back um and, and you're having to go awesome. through Kevlar if you're using bike tires right i mean that's a pretty right. that's bulletproof vest stuff for those of yeah. us that yeah so that's yeah yeah <laughs> so even like this is made out of fat tires which those yeah. are kind of the the beefiest of the beefy although i have some like the maxis downhill tires those ones are pretty those are even thicker than fat tires and it'll go through those too cool. um yeah so so as i was making these i ended up 
seeing some tires in a dumpster somewhere. And I was like, mm, I wonder if my machine could sew through those. So I got myself like safety goggles and I got like long <laughs> sleeves and like jean jackets on. And I like lined it up because I had the idea for this bike basket for Maddox. And I was like, is it going to work? Is it just going to explode in my face? And I pushed it and it just goes doop, 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 doop. No big deal. And just, it just sews through like butter. It's just insane how it's terrifying, really. I've sewn through my fingers a couple times, and it's like... Oh, no. Yeah, it's... Ow! I mean, it, I've survived. I still have them all, but yeah. it's definitely, like, a little terrifying, for sure. And do you sharp... Do you have to sharpen the needles when you're doing that, like, that level of whatever? Do they need... No, I just replace them oh, every... Replace them. Okay, Honestly, gotcha. I... This machine is great. I oil it, and I replace my needles every now and then, but I really don't do it that often. I probably don't do it often enough, um, and I'm... You know, part of the story with the salty boob is like, I'm awfully hard, like horribly hard on my gear and my bikes and my cars and my house and my family. And everybody is like, what is happening? They call me fish sticks for this reason. <laughs> um, so, so it's great because I, it's pretty low maintenance and I haven't broken it yet. Mm. Knock on wood. So you must put together the design for each of these bags or that you that you create. Like what what is the sort of process that goes into the the design of the bag itself? Not just the like the aesthetics, but the functionality. Yeah, I mean a lot of it has to do with my own general obsession with bags and like, you know, if we to this day, I mean I have looked at hundreds and hundreds of bags. I own hundreds of bags. I could reach in my closet here and pull out six different style of bags. Um, so you're a bag lady. Sorry. I'm a bag lady. Exactly. Yes. hundred <laughs> percent. So I keep an eye on like what I especially like really clever and well-designed bags. Um, if you've ever traveled with like a Patagonia black hole bag, I think that they're just so smart and you know, things that are easy to open and use and access pockets in the right places, things like that are kind of what I pay attention to. Um, as I'm designing, I definitely am keeping in mind like a level of ease with production. Like I'm just, it's really just me right now working and sewing in the, in the um, garage. And so like backpacks are a little bit more complicated. And so I've scaled back on those production to kind of boost bike baskets for now. Um, but I've been trying to just keep it sim simple, you know. But I can answer the aesthetics question. So you get this amazing text, <laughs> by the way, addressed to whether or not Moana, who is my bike's name, <laughs> would like this pattern or this pattern. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which was awesome. Can you please ask Moana if Moana would like this color combo or this color combo? <laughs> like, yeah. uh, heart, big hearts. This is like the <laughs> best bike bag experience ever. And that's of course, Moana and I decided the most colorful, most obnoxious option. The possible. brightest, which I was like, yes, yeah. I just like it. If it's like more neon, more crazy, more mismatch, the better. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, my safer. theory was when I'm like, right? yeah, yeah. yeah, safety which first, my theory. And I was like, yeah. told totally. Hannah, so when I'm lying know? on the side of the trail saying, please come just get my body because I can't go any further. Yes. They'll see my bike bag. <laughs> Look yes. for the bike bag. <laughs> exactly. I have a question. So aside from, so you have Etsy and the website, and then where other, what are other places that people might be able to find your bags? Oh yeah, great question. So I sell some bags. I have bike baskets down at Outside Inn, downtown Bend. Um, I also have, right now, I think there's just one fanny pack over at Wanderlust Tours. 
Um, but I usually, I'm going to have another backpack and a few more fanny pack options. And then I recently, if you're feeling very adventurous, I recently sent out 10 bike baskets to Japan to a store called Burrito House. Um, that's like a, it's a really cool looking like niche bicycle basket store and accessory store. Um, so you could go grab them there. And then last year I spent a lot of time going to markets and events and, and doing that. This year I haven't done it quite as much. I've been super busy actually producing in the shop. And so I've found there's like, it's like a very kind of challenging balance to, to meet between like going to a market and selling stuff and then, you know, actually just making it. Where do you want to go from here? Is this something, would you want to have say 10 more employees and putting that kind of output? Do you like kind of doing it all yourself? I mean, like, would you want to run it and have other people do the sewing or would that take the fun out of it for you? Like, what are your hopes for, for the salty boob down the road? Yeah, it's funny because I'm, I'm like definitely trying to figure that out right now. Um, this very much started as a side hustle when Maddox was a baby and I was like, didn't really realize it would, I mean, I think that I wanted it to turn into something, but it didn't have the plan for anything. It just turned into what it is currently. And so I am at this odd growth point. I would like for it to continue growing. Um, I would love to be able to move into a, um, into like a product designer position where I'm like designing the products and then having folks sew that in-house. I do really like that they're sewn locally in Bend. I think that that's a nice feature of it. Um, I see that there's potential area for like teaching people this craft that is, I think that people get really turned off in home ec classes by sewing pillows and shorts and things that you're like, great, that was fun. Why? Like, you know, if you're not sewing something purposeful, that doesn't mean anything to you. It's, you're just not engaged in it. And so I do love the idea of doing more classes and like having almost like an apprenticeship type program. Um, I think that would be really fun. That's really cool. But I don't know how it's going to work into all of the things yet. Um, you know, and yeah, so I would like to keep my manufacturing, I think, in Bend. And I would love to have people working for me. Um, yeah, and I want to keep bikepacking. That was really fun. We should do that more, too. <laughs> I know. We shall. Product design. We I'm shall. like, I want to just, yeah. like, move into product design and, like, research and development, you know? Like, testing. If I could just be out testing all the products, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, Jason, we were having the scalability conversation last night, right? Oh, yeah. So it's like that yeah. place where you're like, okay, I have a business, I have a product, it's selling, like, it's doing great, but now how do you scale it? How do you really, like profit margins and like all that kind of stuff. We were having yeah. business talk wow. last night. And like quality. <laughs> Very was, serious business yeah, talk. quality control, yeah. right? Like you, you, exactly. you, you know, it's your baby. You don't want to, you don't want to like, uh, you know, just hand it off to anybody. Right. Know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how do you like, I want to be able to quality control without being a total control freak. Right. Um, which is some of why I'm like, I'll just keep doing it myself. But I also, I did recently start having somebody cut patterns for me and that's been like, a game changer. Someone comes, picks up, um, she picks up all of this fabric and I give her patterns and she drops them off two days later and they're just ready for me to grab and sew. And so that's been a huge help and it makes me feel a little bit more like, okay, this could be great to have more help with this. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the more bags that I can put out, then the less 
stuff that's going into the garbage. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. It's yeah. such a, a fantastic idea. I mean, repurposing stuff, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah. especially stuff like that. Again, petroleum made from oil, not, not, you know, not natural. Right. So not degrading, not biodegrading fast enough. So, I mean, anything like that, I guess on the bright side, like you said, most of the people that do kite surfing or whatever, don't want that stuff in the ocean. They don't want it in a landfill. So they just keep it. But at the, at the end of the day, it's like, you, then you just have a bunch of it laying around, right? It's like this, right. this gives it a new life. That's that's yeah. super cool. Yeah, one of the things I have been thinking about too, and this may be something that comes out of like the apprenticeship piece is the tires are awesome. They're really such a great material because of that Kevlar. And like, I mean, I haven't had anything break out of a tire bag at this point. Um, but I would love to be able to, like if I could start to package tires in a way that I could sell them to other makers to be used. That would be great. Cause so much of my time is spent like in the evenings, I bring a bunch of tires in the house. I peel the stands out of them and then, you know, the sealant, and then I cut them up. It like, I take the edge off and like get it all cleaned up, which is a pretty heavy duty, you know, time consuming thing. Um, so I understand why people aren't using it, but if I could go online and purchase like, you know, three yards of tire that's already prepped, that would be huge. So I don't know. Yeah, this part of the conversation is remember though, they were kind of a big fad. I think in the eighties, at least when I was a kid was the, the sandals that were made out of tires. Yeah. Yeah. Where they would make the sandal bottoms and they just yeah. added the flip flop top to the, right. to the and yes. those were everywhere back in the eighties. And I, you don't see them anymore, but I mean, yeah, you what know, happened? what happened to those and why are right. people using them? It's such a great reuse of something, you know, I um, had a pair. Had of a course pair. you did. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course you did, Jeff. I'm just I'm just picturing you in your jorts, you know, and your and your and your big hairy eighties <laughs> days. You know, my cutoff. Your cutoff, yeah. Yeah. My, yeah. <laughs> my afro. Yeah. Big fro going on. Hard to imagine, but yes, it's true. Oh, I've seen photographic evidence. It's not that hard to imagine. So, you know. <laughs> not going in the show notes. Just letting yeah. you know. All right. Okay. Yeah. Not I'm not going to add a picture of that in there. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> what is like your next night? Like if you could design anything tomorrow, like what haven't you designed? that you want to design aside from Betty's uh, dog carrier. Oh yes. For the bike. Yes. We well, won't talk Betty about that. Betty has that's one that's working really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I know. We have the top secret <laughs> Betty project for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, aside from that. Ooh, that's such a good question. There's so many things, you know, what's fun yeah. about this is I don't feel <laughs> yeah. like, honestly, I'm selling bags to people like myself who were just obsessed with bags and, and I actually have a couple of friends who are also bag makers, you know, and they do different styles. Like, it's it's just different types of art. And so a lot of times I'm like, I, I don't really have a lot of, um, like, secrecy about it um, because everybody's going to do it differently. And that feels nice. Um, I want to do, you know, this backpack that I do. I really like the roll top backpack. And what I would like to do is add a zipper to it so that it becomes a little bit more like... It can like turn into a duffel bag and also be a backpack. Like I like those like one bag for a thousand different uses type things. When it's done well, I think that those can be pretty great. But it's those are things that like once I start getting into the design thing, you know, I end up within like fourteen different half made backpacks, um, which is great. And I. This is, of course, not something you've done, but I have a question on zippers just in general. 
I can't yeah. tell you how many really expensive pieces of outdoor gear I've bought where like the zipper is just garbage. And I'm like, why would you not charge me an extra couple dollars and just give me a good zipper? You know, oh, it's is, so it hard, is it hard to find good zippers? Because I'm assuming other people have had this problem. You know, so zippers actually have a really interesting history in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, this is me being a mega nerd. No, but like, this is why I'm asking you because I figured if you, you know, didn't think I was right? nerdy already, I know wait you would until never you put a bad about. zipper on something. I just <laughs> no. want to know why have other no. people done it? You know? Yeah. So what happens is they're outsourcing and their quality control is poor, and zippers are tricky because if you don't quality control them correctly, um, like a zipper may break a year in. But I think that that's I don't think that's okay. Like, if a zipper blows out on something, you're done with that product. Like, that means your product lifetime was a year. Somebody can bring me back anything I make, and if it has a zipper on it, is it's easier for me to replace the product. Not that I'm doing this. I Theoretically, it's easier for me to replace the product than it is to um, replace the zipper. And that's even on, like, a custom-made frame bag. Um, so it does drive me insane when people do that. Um, one of my friends works for a large company... And he was saying that they bought a bunch of zippers that the zippers blew out, but they had like 5,000 units left of them. And so I think that, I think that what happens is in this consumerism driven society is and it's capitalism, right? Like they don't want to lose the, the thing they can make 5,000 products and maybe 25% of those will get sent back. Um, but that's not going to tank their, their business, if that makes sense. Um, doesn't make me happy but it makes sense <laughs> you well know? and that's the thing right yeah. so and and so zippers are zippers do actually have kind of a complex history in the u.s i talked to this woman named the zipper lady who she i believe she's i'm not sure exactly how she's doing it but she's i think she's importing zippers and then dyeing them custom colors so she has every kind of zipper color you could possibly imagine um, which is awesome because you could match any project perfectly and any with zipper you know, super high quality stuff. And I had put in a bunch of orders for zippers and wanted to add on. And so I, you know, sent a message and she called me. So the zipper lady called me on the phone and I was like, she, she sells like, you know, millions of yards of zipper every, every year and calls me for like an extra, like 20 yard thing. And gave me a brief history of zippers in the US and it sounds to me like when we started importing, when the garment industry started importing things from China and from overseas, um, the mills that were creating zippers down in the Southeast, they actually destroyed the machines so that the garment industry in the US would continue to be reliant upon whoever was importing those. So mm. so it's an, it is like a very interesting like supply chain, like kind of like there's like this whole like background of economics and politics that are playing into it that is kind of a bummer yeah well you know like like i don't know i guess it's all these things right like the chips i mean there's not much in common with micro you know superconductor chips and zippers but if something happens and we can't get them anymore then then right then we're all going to be stuck with velcro and no one wants that Right? <laughs> right. Can Nobody you imagine if we that. had to go back to Velcro as a technology? Oh. It's, it's insane. Oh. Yeah. 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 I mean, but I've come across some really cool um, like magnetic zippers and and that's some of that stuff has been definitely inspiration for some of my designs like the you know with this uh, bike basket Maddox couldn't do a side release buckle so I found this really cool magnetic buckle that just clicks right on. 
Um, yeah. And there's tons of magnetic stuff out there too. So, you know, if the zipper industry eats it, then maybe magnets will save us. But Maybe it is time to replace the zipper, right? I mean. Could be. Yeah. It does feel somewhat antiquated using it, but I mean, you know, Velcro so far is our option and that's now, you know. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, this, yeah, zippers are, but I also think that like this old Sierra Designs bag I have, the zipper works perfectly. And so meanwhile, I picked up a Mountain Hardware pretty new bag where the zipper had broken on that. Um, and it was like a really high end, you know, negative 30 synthetic bag and the zipper was broken the bag wasn't even six months old um so i think that there's like a quality control thing and that, that's just the thing it's like of... expensive gear i've had like high big name brands and i've had the zipper break within right. weeks or even less you know what i mean you or it just doesn't even work when you get it it's brand new and you're like yeah you're like fighting it and you're like you know it, it just seems like such a i don't know it's such an annoying thing when you're paying Sometimes hundreds of dollars on a piece of gear that's supposed to be, you know, performance gear and, you know, in tough in tough situations, too. I, had, I hadn't really thought about this zipper thing, but I, I'm, as we were talking, I'm realizing both my, my backpack and my uh, sleeping quilt, neither of them have zippers at all. And uh, so not only am I saving that weight, but it's simplifying some things. It's like, you know, less prone to uh, failure. And that's when I did this um, roll top backpack. That's what this is set up as. So it has a it has a roll top on the top that rolls down, and then it just has a very simple G hook that goes over top to clip. Um, so you don't even run. And the G hook is stainless steel. I think it's actually it's mil spec. Um, you know, nothing on that would ever break. The this will pull out before it's going to actually snap. But it is, it's nice to not have that like extra stuff to it, but. I would just like, like to say that the zipper I chose for my bike bag is fantastic because today I was actually <laughs> riding and I was able to unzip, grab something out of my little frame bag and zip it again. It was like, no problem. And I also didn't without crashing. Well, we, we knew right away, Hana, when I brought up that question, I knew Hana would never use a crappy zipper. I just kind of wanted to know more. Well, yeah. ironically, yeah. on our bikepacking trip, I actually <laughs> spent a large portion of the morning fixing my wife's crappy zipper on her bag because <laughs> hers was one of the first frame bags I made. And I used this crappy little number three zipper I got off of Amazon and she packs like she put like a hydro flask or something insane in there. So it, of course, split. And um, and so now I use the bag on your the zipper on yours is it's a number eight um ykk reverse coil zipper which is the same thing they use on all the black hole patagonia duffels like it is way overbuilt for what you're using it for but what that means in the long run is like your bike is going to fall apart completely yeah. before that bag ever has the zipper blowout on it that's how it should be with zippers i think you know i think so too you know yeah. i mean is it heavy i mean the only thing i would say is if it's super heavy the no. way the weight weenies won't go for it but as long as it's not like no. you know well, and I just, um, I made another bag recently for somebody who's a weight weenie. They sent me their, <laughs> so very uh, like they sent me their weenie. salsa. Yeah. They sent me their salsa bag, which fit their bike pretty well. And then he sent me, you know, like the design of his bag and it was 40 grams of difference in the weight between the two. And that was with, um, in his case. So the salsa bag only had one zipper 
his new bag that I made him had three zippers on it, and he still saved 40 grams with it. Um, you know, and the trade-off is that the, or it wasn't a salsa bag. I think it was, um, well, maybe it was salsa. It was salsa, but they the material that he's using is much thicker. Um, but the Dacron is really, it's, it's really sturdy for the weight that it is. I haven't had anything tear on it so far. Knock on wood. <laughs> if your stuff breaks, let me know. I have questions about what you've been doing with it. <laughs> you know, the only thing I would say also is I was just thinking about the issue with the zippers blowing out is there are a bunch of really good companies and some here in Bend that will fix zippers and gear and a lot like the gear fixes one the other mm -hmm. is uh the rugged thread um and what I love about their philosophy is like gear needs to stay in the loop instead yeah. of just replacing it and that's some of I think what's going against that like consumerism is like you know it's easy to replace stuff. It's pretty cheap to replace stuff. It's hard to take out a zipper and put a new one back in. And it's, you know, it's not cheap because the labor piece is there, but it is ultimately better for the planet to replace and, and run what you brung. Oh, yeah. No, I just, in fact, I replaced one on one of my favorite cycling jerseys and it was kind of a special series kind of thing. It's like 10 years old. Yeah. So I, no complaint that that zipper broke because it had been... right well used you know you're like okay 10 years is a good life for a zipper i think for yeah the, so you know cycling jerseys don't usually last that long but i just replaced you know the zipper on it and that was i was right. fine doing that <laughs> yeah so but yeah um, no that is a good point though it's like first thing should be like how do we fix it yeah how do we save it especially if everything else is is better is it maybe safe? the second thing like the first thing should be how do we make and buy and and get gear that's gonna last and yeah. not have that problem and inevitably because we're out there using it it does like we do get stuff snagged in it oh yeah know? yeah i've it had happens. two i had both my quilt which is almost brand new and part of my tent get ripped in the last week by zippers so Ugh. just more to pile on the whole zipper yeah, <laughs> yeah. i know there's like some zipper uh, some zipper industry people are going to hear this and, and we like i think we'll yeah we all have sponsor a that podcast <laughs> right yeah scratch that off the list for potential things we sponsor is <laughs> right oh darn ykk is yeah. not going to yeah. get that YKK's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or they're going to hire us to do a whole ad campaign of like why zipper are great yeah <laughs> yeah right they're like we changed their mind yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're just yeah. kidding zippers are we amazing. take these skeptics and yeah, yeah. Convert them. exactly convert them into zipper fans <laughs> yeah yeah so i know you just went on your first backpacking uh bike packing trip but before we go do you have any ad other adventures uh lined up for you coming up um gosh what is coming up it's been such a crazy busy summer we have a couple of just like, it's funny. So we did the one bikepacking overnight last week and Malia, my wife is like, let's go again next weekend. Let's do it immediately. So I don't know that I think we're negotiating that right now because the like packing up and going is, is so much work, but, um, but it was also really fun. So we may end up doing another bikepacking trip. Um, but that's kind of our main, that that's our only thing. I think we'll go out to the coast in a, in a few weeks and, we do a lot of van and car camping right now with the little guy, so. Yeah, well, Hannah, thank you so much for joining us. This has been super fun. 
love learning all about your process and your background and how you got here. And thank you for sharing your love of zippers and upcycled <laughs> materials and all the things. Um, yeah. And how can people, I know we mentioned it earlier, but how can people find you? Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on. This was super fun and enjoyable. Um, so you can catch me at my website, which is the salty boob dot life. Uh, also Instagram is where I usually am cruising through there. Uh, and my Instagram handle is the salty boob. Um, email is adventure at the salty boob dot life. And you can find my Etsy shop. If you type in to the shop names, the salty boob, I usually pop up right there also. Awesome. awesome. Thank so you fun. so much. Yeah. Yeah, Keep it up. It's so it cool. I mean, reusing yeah, it's it's such, awesome, a, such a great thing to do and a great way yeah. to go about it. So. Thanks, thanks. Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media. On Instagram at almostthere underscore AP or the Almost There Adventure Podcast on Facebook. If you'd like to support us financially, you can subscribe to our Patreon. Just go to patreon.com forward slash A-T-A-P. You can find Severia at Adventure Us Women. That's Adventure US Women. Jeff at The SoCal Hiker or me at The Mirror Project. Our title track, Almost There, is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. For more about this episode and all of our others, please make sure to check out the show notes on our website, almosttheareadventurepodcast.com. On the next episode, we talk to yoga instructor and runner, Adina Crawford. As always, thanks for listening.